Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Zorro.com. Shopping for a business? You'll find the supplies you need at Zorro.com. That's Z-O-R-O.com. At Zorro, you can get tools, safety and office items, cleaning supplies, and more in one stop. And Zorro has great brands like Milwaukee Tool, Prestone 3M, and Proto. Visit Zorro.com, Z-O-R-O.com slash watch and sign up for Zmail to get 15% off. Zorro.com, all you need to make your business go. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio with a whole new appreciation for milk. It's Andy Greenwald! Wow, I learned so much last night. <laughs> what a night. What a night for Hollywood. It was Hollywood's biggest night. Hey, Greenwald, what's up, man? Happy Monday. Great to see you. Isaac Lee is here with us today. Uh, it's the day after the Oscars. Um, we're going to be talking about the Oscars, the Oscars broadcast, the winners, the losers. There's no losers. No, but there's a winner. Uh, the Hollywood air is thick with the aroma of sochu. Given the way Greenwald is dressed today, I wish people could see, you'd think he was mourning 1917 not winning. It's more that I've just been in like in a duck blind. What right? if we became like, what if we were like super morbid about 1917 not winning? Like, yeah, yeah, it's great for Parasite, but. <sighs> when are we going to properly venerate England's greatest generation in film? Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about the Oscars or a lot about the Oscars, and then we'll talk about last night's episode of The Outsider. Mm-hmm. What's it called? The, was that the one about Yiddish tears? Yiddish vampire, I believe. Uh, the tear drinker was a couple weeks ago. It's literally the one about the Yiddish vampire. Our thing about... Which you is, know, a, is that a friend's joke? Rich. <laughs> our guy, Richie Price, not known for the lulls. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But he's sneaking in some... There's some funny shit in Richard Price's work. Yeah, but he's, that's, not what he's, that's not what he's known for. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think he's sneaking, his, sneaking some of his best work into the episode titles. He did a little rewrite work on Caddyshack. Not sure if you know that. Caddyshack 2? <laughs> do you remember there was a Caddyshack 2? I do, yeah. Was I, that Ronnie Dangerfield? I think at, at some point, Jonathan Silverman was in that. At some point, Jonathan Silverman no, was in I it, mean, but then he at ducked some point, out? I was going to say, at some point, <laughs> I think I, like... I thought Caddyshack 2 was Caddyshack, like, you know, because when you're young, you don't know. Oh, yeah. And they just show Caddyshack 2. You're like, oh, this is like, is there a a first Caddyshack? I didn't even know that. I caped up for Mannequin 2. Yeah. Continuing Adventures of Meshach Taylor. Yeah, is that another Silverman banger? I'm just saying. (laughs) Is Is it? It It might be. And then Silverman and McCarthy were together in Weekend at Bernie's, right? Oh, because because you're saying Silverman was always slipped in later. You know, Charlie Schlatter fits into this, too. Yeah, because he's the second Fer- Ferris Bueller. <laughs> right. Second he's the Ferris TV's Bueller. Ferris Bueller. Right. right. Wow. This is good stuff. This is the best podcast of 1991. Um, Actually, I feel like we've always been the best podcast of 1991. <laughs> we really have. Let's talk a little bit about the 2020 Oscars. Uh, obviously, the big picture went live last night. You guys can check that out. They Boy, really got into it. I haven't listened to that yet, but I hope... Half of that podcast is Sean just luxuriating in the fact that the Oscars finally took his note and had people introducing people to introduce other people. And then in the middle of it, they were like, you know, what people love most about movies songs. Yeah, <laughs> I want to talk about that. But it's great. They did a great job breaking down just how historic last night was for mm-hmm. a lot of different reasons. And then Ringer Dish also did the kind of more of the pop culture gossip. Uh, the red carpet looks to the, you know, the, the funny connections between celebrities yeah. in there. So you should listen to Ringer Dish and Big Picture, but you can also listen to The Watch because you're listening to it already if you've gotten this far. 
Um, let's talk about the broadcast a little bit before we get into okay. Parasite and everything else. What a huge night for Parasite, and what a huge night for music. <laughs> Finally. It was music's biggest <laughs> night. Uh, what the fuck? <laughs> so I was watching it so last crazy. night, uh, and I was just, you know, at first you're just kind of like, cool, obviously opening with a music number, that's not sure. not that weird. And then, although I think what I, midway through, I realized mm-hmm. that the they were doing a full presentation performance of each best song nominee, which they which is traditional. But they were not doing the usual. Someone walks out and says, two men running across war torn Belgium or or France." You is know, that Ford versus Ferrari. Yes, and haven't seen it. No, it's nineteen seventeen, and <laughs> yeah. I, I know. Uh, yeah, it's right. You you got me. Um, they you, usually, you know, you they do Ryan. like an introduction and then they show a montage yeah. from the best picture films. They did not do that. No, they didn't celebrate the best pictures of the year throughout the, the biggest night in movies. Yet they celebrated Elton John and Randy Newman and Adina Menzel and Chrissy all, Metz and all of it. There were these Eminem who wasn't nominated for anything and was like a make good on something that happened in 2002 or three. It, it, there were a lot of weird choices like that. You know, the, the, I do think and shout outs to our fearless leader, Bill Simmons here. I do think the Oscars or the Academy need a czar of common sense yes. because they always try to mess with the things that are working just fine. Like, announcing the nominees and showing a short clip of their work before giving them the trophy. Yes. And this year's innovation was we're going to edit, and they were very well edited, I thought quite cleverly edited, a montage of all the performances flowing into each other to Uh create some sort of visual cinematic sense of whatever. There's like a kind of dialogue going on in those, yeah. And then they come out of it, and then they're like, the nominees are. It's like, we know, we know. (laughs) That is an extra four or five minutes every time. That you could have used. So I guess maybe the thinking was we don't need to show montages or clips from the movies because we're showing them in the actor things. But they also did a montage of just cool songs and movies from across the decades. Well, that's the stuff that I always rail against. But Sean is all the way out there on the hill that he has chosen to die on, which may be the same hill as Cold Mountain. No, dude, I love montages. He loves montages. About things that movies do. Yeah. Yeah, why I not? don't. That's nonsense. What other night are we spending doing that, though? What other night are we spending watching people give trophies to the greatest <laughs> actors? Like, it's the Oscars. Anyway, let, let's take it one step back. So, yes, the opening. Um, I love Janelle Monet. Mm-hmm. First of all, I love her. Second, great performance, great energy, a lot of fun. Third, great, 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 great PR for Esmail Corp. Uh, it's considering Janelle Monae is starring in season two of Homecoming. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Great look for them. Yeah. But <laughs> I kind of just want to throw something out here. When the dancing jokers came out. Yeah. I was like, Jonas era face. Are we <laughs> sure about this? Because there I was feel a lot like... of people on stage. There were a lot of characters or, or mm-hmm. dancers representing movies that were not at all represented in the nominees. Yes. Which... I kind of can get behind. Did they have dancing popes for the two popes? They didn't because that movie was represented. Yeah. They had Dolomites. That's right. They had Midsummers. They had Uses, you know, mm-hmm. from the movie Us mm-hmm. that wasn't nominated. I'm, I, my, my goal today mm-hmm. is to get you way out on a pier talking about stuff you haven't seen. Oh, I'm so golden today. You have no idea <laughs> you how confident that, I am. Because you think now all you have to do is watch one movie a year. I... Nailed it. I took a look at the great buffet yeah. of discourse and culture, and I was like, no, I know what I want. That. Parasite. That's all I want. 
I want Ramdan. I want a big bowl. And I just slurped it all up. And I was full. And I never need to watch any other movies from 2019. So you, are, you serious, Hollywood. are you seriously not going to watch any of those other movies ever? I'll watch Little Women. That's it? You're yeah. not going to watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You're not going to see finish, as Steve Martin said, season one, or <laughs> Chris Rock said, season one of Irishman. I'll probably get back to it, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I do want to see those movies. Yeah, but you, you but it, the but one it, movie you watched won fucking everything, yeah. which is maddening. Last night was my greatest night. <laughs> so it, it, anyway, we're just talking about the music montage. It was just like, are we sure? Because I think the thing that has been pursuing the, uh, the Ahab to the Oscars white whale, mm-hmm. I'm doing this analogy backwards, is Rob Lowe singing and dancing with Snow White in the opening of the 1987 Oscars, right? Yeah. So anything that is remotely like that, I'm like, you just got to watch that. Right. And so Dancing Jokers was, was on the Snow White scale. That was close. And then, you know, and other people have pointed this out, Steve Martin and Chris Rock are delightful. They were funny. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed their presence. I enjoyed their amiable, loose hand on the, on the steering wheel. But you know what they were? Hosting. Yeah. So you didn't need both. Yeah. It, it's just bizarre. This non-hosting thing. Like maybe, maybe this was an example of the Academy being like, you say that they're always not worth it. So here you go. Okay, we've learned our lesson. Give us a host. Bring a host back. So you're pro-host. A hundred million percent pro-host. I, I because mean, I'm watching this, again, as a non-cinephile. I am watching this partially as a broadcast experience and as a show. Mm-hmm. And I like to know that someone. So I'm curious, when guys like George Mackay show up. Yeah. And they're like, I'm George Mackay, and I'm here to introduce the next person who's going to inter- present an award. I had no idea who that was. Yeah, right. First of all, he looked precarious in the balcony. Yes. I thought he was going to tumble backwards. Yeah. You ever get that feeling when you go to like, yeah, I can't talk about like, it. like City Field or Dude. Dodger Stadium and you're like, I could fall into no. Jock Peterson's arms it's, right now? It's the Barkley Center because they started building these things. They wanted a smaller footprint. Yeah, they go straight up. And they go straight up. And we went, I think, with, uh, with Sean Fennessy, I think, to a, to a Nets game. I don't remember if it was Nets Sixers a couple of years ago. And I experienced deep vertigo. Yeah. It is very. It's also completely dark in Barclays Center. Yes. Yeah. It's really weird because they do theater lighting, so you're just like, I'm in. The, I am in the dark, very high up above Spencer Dinwiddie. And it's either Spencer Dinwiddie or it's uh, Caucasian chalk circle being performed. <laughs> theater in the round black box. Unclear. Similar experience. Anyway, um, let me redraw my own Caucasian chalk circle to discuss the Oscars. Yeah. So there's a dude in the balcony who I've never heard of, and I thought maybe he was like an ex's Hollywood host. Yes. Or The Bachelor? Yes. I don't know. Yeah. No, he's in 1917. Great. Yeah. But then I figured that out because I realized that he was a blandly handsome British guy I've never seen before. So right. I assumed that he was running out of the trenches at some point. And then point. you put on his costume from that movie today and came to work. As a tribute <laughs> to my new favorite actor. Um, and on the way here, actually, to get to the studio on time, I tossed my keys to Timothy Chalamet so he could park my car <laughs> in time. What a windbreaker for that guy. I mean, that was a choice. So, yeah, I'm pro-host. I'm 100% pro host and it was it was strange to bring out two people who have hosted before and could have done it again to give us the good host vibes mm-hmm. as opposed to making an argument of why we don't need one which which fell apart but here's but, my case host no host okay yeah if you want a hyper efficient oscars which mm-hmm. they don't do anyway but right. if you wanted to imagine an oscars that came in at two and a half hours or two hours even right uh don't have a host just get right into the awards. Do it. Because there was a point last night when they were really burning through those first few yeah. major categories. And you were like, this is great. This is all, I feel mm-hmm. like it's really moving. And then it obviously slows down a lot. And I don't mind it slowing down for mm-hmm. uh, 
craft and below the line awards mm-hmm. and for doc short and an animated short. And those are always actually some of my favorite moments yes. because you never know. And, and not only do you get to see people who are actually making these movies get awarded, but um, it really shows the sense of community that exists both out in Los Angeles, but in the wider world of the film community. Mm-hmm. The thing I obje- object to is bending over backwards for like the sixth shot of Billie Eilish and then a three person introduction to get to Eminem. And you're just like, why are we why are we doing Lose Yourself in 2020? This is just obscene, kind of. Also, also I mean, Beanie Feldstein being like, here's my hero, TV's Mindy Kaling. It's right. just bizarre. <laughs> I, uh, it was such a fascinating Oscars because this, this was, in many ways, the one that we've been waiting for. And, and I don't mean, I mean, literally, we in the sense that you and I have been talking about or covering in some fashion, whether we did an after show or whether we've been podcasting about it, you know, for eight eight years now Mm -hmm. much more casually than big picture obviously oh yes now but but um but we did rent tuxedos a few years ago yes they were (laughs) rented for us so basically we're insiders (laughs) and this was the one wait didn't we do a live show after la la land and moonlight and you had left or something like that no was that were you there for that yes did somebody leave for that and then like it was like oh my god should i come back i don't remember i don't remember you were there though i i'm committed to covering film <laughs> from all angles, yeah. mostly the outside angle. This is what we wanted. Um, this was the Oscars that people sort of dreamed about, the one where people feel really good about the outcome, mm-hmm. where genuine moments of not just of uh, excitement and happiness and surprise for new winners being anointed, because that's something that people really like. There was such a feeling of, uh, as you said, a film community. You know, I mean, Fong's speeches were just so genuine and moving and wonderful, but not just for what they were and what they said about him, but for the way he connected the dots, talking about, you know, I mean, obviously the, the headline moment of the whole evening was when he said the quote that motivated him and said that it was a Scorsese quote and Scorsese's there beaming mm-hmm. because Scorsese loves his movies too. And he loves this idea of yeah. a community. So we, it gave us everything that people actually want from an Oscar show, but because you can never count on that. It was built to be this same lumbering kind of hybrid that can't count on anything, that can't count on delivering the moments it needs to deliver, so it lards it with stuff that it hopes other people might want. If you had stripped away all the extra stuff that they put in, you would have had, yes, you would have had the lean show people talk about, but you also would have had the engaging, exciting, I mean, it's weird to say a word like fulfilling, but people felt really like... I think people felt joy yeah. watching this show, yeah. whether it was from Laura Dern's speech after winning for a long time, seeing a movie star like Brad Pitt finally get his first acting Oscar. Um, it hit all the notes. T- and t- then taking psilocybin and, and watching Joaquin Phoenix talk. <laughs> yeah. We can come back to that. Yeah. But it hit all those notes. And then Billie Eilish and Eminem and Elton John and everyone else also hit many notes. Yes, they did. Uh, there was a moment I saw on Twitter. I think it was at the Parasite Party where the director of Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Celine Shiama, went up to director Bong, and she said, I'm going to paraphrase, but it was like, you did it. Yeah. Like, and this changes everything. And it's everything from it going from foreign language film to international feature and, and the idea that there is a more of a mm-hmm. global, there should not be this, as as Bong has said, this, this one inch line at the bottom of the film that is somehow a wall that people can't see over yeah. in terms of understanding. And also that um, there is this international community of film that, and these movies are as important as 
anything you see in your multiplex and that it doesn't it's not that hard to go find them and that and especially in the case of parasite it's been a wonderful it's so it's been so wonderful to see that movie uh become kind of a phenomenon uh and i i've seen it too with like all these people who i work with who i think are being introduced to cinema through parasite which is really cool like yes. they're like i want to go check out more of his movies i want to check out other movies like it i want to find out what movies i haven't been seeing because you know, this is a gateway movie. This is going to be a gateway movie for a lot of people. Also, the world is so much smaller now. We yeah. have access to everything. You don't have to do what we learned to do in high school, which is like go past the first few racks of the TLA video store in Center City, Philadelphia to discover something yeah. and then feel as proud but protective of it as we would have uh, a seven inch that we bought yes. at Repo Records. Like this is a world that is interconnected and Quentin Tarantino has supported Parasite yeah. and supported Bong's films and movies in his career. And of course, he's influenced by Scorsese because he has access to those movies and vice versa. Yeah. And, you know, Chloe Zhao, who did uh, The Rider a few years ago, Born in Beijing, is making a Marvel movie. Mm -hmm. There is a flip side to the thing that we often talk about, which is that, you know, oh, Star Wars isn't going to do well long term because it doesn't play well in China. Mm -hmm. The flip side of it is, is that all movies are global now. And all movies, and, in, and instead of only thinking about that in cynical terms, like um, because a Chinese company invested a lot into Transformers, then it has to be very positive about the regime, whatever. There's a flip side to it. Yes. It, it means that all movies are going everywhere all the time and talking to each other in a way that feels instantly exciting. Yeah. And and opens, you know, it opens the aperture super wide. And it speaks really, it, it, it makes me enthusiastic, honestly. I mean, this is why I think when you see people flipping out in videos that they posted on Twitter after the awards were announced, um, I don't think people are overreacting. Me it's neither. not for me to say it, first for of sure, all. Yeah, but I, but I, I feel that I feel a version of that same thrill. Also, it's not just a, it's not an empty feel good movie. You know, like those no, movies like that big. have won in the past where it's like, oh man, that's so great that we got the, the like whatever like it's like like I think before it obviously became like completely toxic. The uh, campaign and the idea of Green Book was, can we can we, you know, there's just like a harmony, even back in in the civil rights era, and it's just like this is if we could just connect with each other in this way and see past our differences, isn't that great? And that was the idea behind it. I, I gotta be honest, I didn't even see Green Book. You know what I mean? Like I, I, and, I and everything that happened with Green Book. Do you want to know if I saw it? Did you see Green Book? <laughs> I just but figured you would know. The thing about Parasite is that it was rewarded. For actually capturing a moment yes. this in is, this world right now. The, 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 I was absolutely— When I does that happen? I know I wasn't alone with it. I assumed that all the feel-good parts were over and 1917 would win. And again, I haven't seen it, so I am actually pure in this argument. I'm not saying it's good or bad. Maybe mm -hmm. it's a masterpiece. But I assumed 1917 would win because it is a backwards-looking movie. Yes. Not in a pejorative sense. It is literally a period piece. It right. is about something that already happened. And— the one thing that you can generally count on the Oscars to do is reward Hollywood's own sense of itself and its own sense of place and a vision of the world the way it used to be. It's a safer, safer bet. Yeah. It's why acting awards generally go to people doing imitations of other actors or famous people. Because, again, it's, it's, a, it's pointing the camera backwards mm -hmm. in a way that feels easy to digest, more universal, uh, just, just safer in so many ways. And there were nine nominees this year. How many did I see? Just, just, just Uno. But are any of the other nominees about 2019 or 2020? 
literally are they about it? Four no, versus I mean, you can period make piece, leaps that like there's piece. parts of Little Women that are a, that, well, sure, that reflect. All movies yeah, made today. absolutely. You know, and it, you know the labor struggles going on, and Irishmen have resonance today, and everybody and, and the Irishmen. Anyone can get divorced, baby. That's <laughs> you know, true. You know what I mean? That's that. That might be the only other one, but the uh, but the Irishmen particular, like that is of course is about right now because it is about the Martin Scorsese and his collaborators and looking backwards and age and it's you know yeah. The first few episodes that I saw were magnificent. But my point being, Parasite is so electrically about right now. Yes. And about class and culture and tension and technology. And it's radical that it won mm-hmm. for that reason. I mean, you guys are, I mean, not just Green Book, like The Artist won Best Picture. Yeah. A silent film from about, about a French actor. Like that right. won Best Picture. Right. It's it, the the Academy is usually about um, moral victories. It's about Martin Scorsese winning for The Departed after not winning for so many masterpieces that came before it. It's about Hurt Locker beating Avatar. You know, even though I don't really know if Hurt Locker has gone has been canonized since. No, then. but that actually might be the. Is that the last example? Hurt Locker and Moonlight are the only other examples I can think of that felt current. Yeah, I think then, and in both Hurt Locker and Moonlight's case, but obviously to a much lesser extent. There's almost something sad about the best picture coming last. It's it's why it was so great to see Parasite mm-hmm. go on this run because mm-hmm. the night became about Parasite. The night mm-hmm. became, look at all these people. You could see a genuine affection and actual like satisfaction in the crowd and online and people watching at home were like, yes, he won screenplay. Yes, yeah. he won director. Can you believe it? This is happening. It was like watching a team put together four quarters of like a game. But yeah. Her locker and Moonlight felt like last second shots. And it was like, it went in. Holy shit. That's the end of the game. And it was like, okay. Then Catherine Bigelow is like, I won best picture. And that's it. You know what I mean? Or, or they go up on stage and that chaos of La La Land and Moonlight. And they're like, uh, okay, we won and it's over. And then only every, only thing people want to talk about is the accounting error. But this was actually a coronation. Well, Catherine Bigelow won best director for her locker. Oh, but I totally agree with you. There's generally, even if you have a run, like a momentum of a, of a film, you know, generally then it reverts at the end and the night's over. Yeah. Director is before actor and actress, right? Usually. So yeah, like it's the last half hour. So, okay. So for as much as this was the parasite, I mean, it's still exciting. And I love that people felt good about it. And it's so funny too, because the night as a whole, it was kind of at war with itself Mm -hmm. because so much of it was about the Academy's failings and presuming the worst and obviously the terrible reflection uh, of the industry is not at all diverse mm-hmm. that was present in the nominees. And that became the story. You know, obviously, Steve Martin and Chris Rock were poking fun at it themselves to Natalie Portman's outfit on the red carpet with you know, where her gown was embroidered with the names of all the women who directed films who were snubbed. Yep. Um, to the, to, to the, the producers of the show, to their credit, filling the stage with as many people of color and certainly as many women as possible in all these different categories to almost make up for the fact that the voting, the voting block, the voters did not do that in their own estimation of years in the nominating process. So it was at war with itself. And then it didn't go the way everyone thought. I mean, every year it's almost, it's hackneyed at this point for the coverage of the Oscars to be about Oscars, not just Oscars so white, but Oscars so old. And there are always these Variety or Hollywood Reporter stories or the unnamed Oscar crank. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just like, I met Judy Garland and whoever plays her deserves an award. Mm -hmm. It it didn't happen. 
Right. Parasite won. Yeah. So someone who's old must have liked it. Yeah. Some of the new people in the Academy must have been responsive. This to is it. also the thing about Parasite. <laughs> really good fucking movie. It's so good. Yeah. I mean, and I, like everybody, you know, it, it's it's uh, everybody who sees it is like, oh, this wasn't like that's not a chore to watch that movie. It's not yeah. like homework. You know, it's 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 a thriller. It's a comedy. It's 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 Hitchcockian, but it's also you know, it's about. It's got all these different layers. It's got elements of Ernst Lubitsch in it. It's just so great. And I think that that's part of what what made it such a, a great night. So for all the celebration we're, we're doing of the Oscars anointing something new, I do think it's worth saying I am not immune to this. I I also, like I think many people, I love it when people get get their chip. You know, mm-hmm. if you were, you're doing the sports analogy, like, you and I were really, really happy that Andy Reid won a Super Bowl after <laughs> wasting most of our youth sure. watching him yeah. uh, coach the Eagles. Like, it, there is something, it's arbitrary and it's silly and it's not about us, but there is this collective experience that we all have. I was going to say going to the movies, not something I often do anymore, but being a consumer of culture and loving entertainment, um, people you've grown up with, you've watched rise and fall and rise again get welcomed into Valhalla. Mm-hmm. And so Brad Pitt, who I forgot, did win one for Moonlight, right, for producing... Uh, 12 Years a Slave. 12 Years a Slave, he yeah. won. He, he's an Oscar winner as an actor now. Mm-hmm. And I love that shit. Yes. That's great. Yes. Like, there is some... Like, there's just something kind of amazing about the way it goes. And you were talking before about how, yeah, when Scorsese won for The Departed or, or Leo won for The Revenant, like, are those the movies that they should have won for? I don't know anybody who would say yes. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of nice. Well, there's nothing. It's not that The Revenant or The Departed is good or bad as much as it's just amazing that we aren't talking about five-time Oscar winners. Yeah, they're makeup. They're makeup yeah. votes in yeah. a way because then the the, the 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 yeah the everything shakes out right. a certain way, and that's the moment, and there's the momentum. But it was great. Like you know, there are many reasons to like Brad Pitt. Many people describe them and write about them. My calling card is the Mark Maron podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but in general, he just seems like a very decent guy. Yeah. And there are genuine moments still in this world. And, you know, he's won every award leading up to this. This wasn't a surprise. There were people, you know, uh, chatting online about who's writing his speeches because they were all very charming and lovely. And he knew he was going to win. Mm-hmm. And he's been gracious, blah, blah, blah. But you could see the moment hit him in real time. And he got emotional. Yeah, when he said the stunt person stuff. And, and, and it was very moving because, as he said, like, he did do this and all of a sudden you're standing on that stage looking out doing the thing that you probably practiced doing in your high school bathroom mirror before you even came to Hollywood yeah I often practice in my mirror just being like you know thank you to the academy I, I you, you, you better not snub me um it's moments like that are are great and Laura Dern also like who you know has had such a long and varied career to at this point in her life just become a meme lord mm-hmm. and like the most universally beloved woman sure is wild yeah. i mean it's such a bizarre career um i think that's great what did I you think about stuff. big walk energy that was a weird one yeah like i'm going to put my finger in the wind here and say that it's a complicated wind for this dude i remember it really did. I was, I was watching the the show last night with our buddy Zach Barron, and he and I are both big, uh, you know, we, we did some time in the hardcore and punk rock scenes of the of the 90s. Okay. And uh, it, it reminded both of us of being at those shows, mm-hmm. like, you know, like in like a VFW hall. Yeah. And 
you know, a band would finish like a savage breakdown and the mosh pit would settle for a second and the guy would then lecture you about animal rights for, for, for 10 minutes. And you'd just be like, okay. And then, uh, you know, then they would go back into their, their like post hardcore screaming, but it kind of had that vibe where you were like, I, I, he has obviously done this speech, like a variation of it, like five or six times. And, uh, he's obviously really committed to it. There was a lot happening in there, man. I've never met the man. Um, he might be lovely. He might be a scoundrel, as he said Mm. in his, about himself in his own speech. I would say that it was, it was a Joaquin Phoenix performance in a speech, which is, he is a ball of kinetic energy Mm -hmm. that can be harnessed for almost any purpose whether it is lawful good, chaotic evil, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, he is just pure, almost on, on screen, he's pure id, he's pure energy. Um, one of the most incredible and physical actors that I can ever remember watching. I mean, his performance in The Master is still like, it's just so intense. Yeah. It's unreal, yeah. his performance. And from those who have seen Joker, I, even people who don't like it, I think if you 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 can probably get a lot of what we're, people are talking I, about from the, the images that I they showed it. last yeah. night. Yeah, and he, I mean, and and even people who don't like the movie, you can't fault his commitment and his performance and his ability. Um, and without guardrails or without a script or a director, you get. I think this is what this is what you get. Yeah. And so I, it was, uh, it was kind of a wild ride that speech <laughs> because I was like, okay, I could feel people wanting to be into it. And being like, maybe, maybe we're going to go on a good journey yeah, here. I think it was one of those situations where I read a couple of things where it sounded like backstage or like in the press corps. Yeah. It was a little like, oh shit, strap in. Whereas there were some reports that in the room, in the Dolby, people were like, speak your truth. Like there was a lot I mean, more like. Uh, it, it was the. It I was mean, obviously the... there's a lot of affection for at least his, his performance, if not the person, because he has swept the. He swept yeah. awards season. Well, he's a great actor. He deserves awards mm-hmm. for his acting. Um, but that speech was the Stefan of Oscar speeches. I mean, it had everything. It had <laughs> it had it had milk. It had cancel culture. Yeah. It had a loving tribute to his late brother. Yeah. I mean, it was a it was a ride. Did, uh, did it remind you a little bit, ultimately, of the old Chick Fil A commercials or ads when the cows would be like, "Eat more chicken." <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think he thinks... I think that was probably, like, what he was going for. I think he believes in the rights of chickens, too, though. I, I think he and Rooney Mara are full, like, it's... You want to talk about it? I, listen, I kept... Was he talking, like, basically, he was just like, we have the tech now to just, like, we can just make fake... Why not, why not have non-sentient meat? He is a shareholder in the Impossible Meat Company. Wouldn't be surprised. I would I would be surprised? Do you okay. think that guy is aware of like his shareholdings? Do you yes. think he like watches his portfolio? Yeah, you do. Yeah, I do. I don't All think these so. guys have business managers. Are you kidding? Yeah, me? but he—that's why he has the business manager. Oh yeah, but like he's so ethical, he'll be like, nope, can't invest in that. I don't know. You think he's like three percent growth this quarter? My my G <laughs> or GTFO? Okay, here's the thing. You know, you and I are very close. We're in we're in regular contact with one another even if we're not seeing each other we're, we're sending messages and the like um but no, we see each other we, quite a bit we do but we also like we were having different sundays yesterday we weren't we weren't in, we weren't texting a lot i know i got rained out of the course during that i feel for you um the thing that broke the seal on our communication last night was the for me yeah unfrozen in, caveman lawyer in the up. moment being like is that rooney mara next to him 
That's happening? Yeah. Which celebrity couple are you more thrown by? Rooney Mara mm-hmm. and Joaquin Phoenix. I'm or shocked by that. Florence Pugh and Zach Braff. I need a moment. <laughs> I knew about the latter one. Okay. Um, which am I more thrown by? I think I was legitimately surprised that Rooney Mara was was with Joaquin Phoenix, but that feels okay to me. I'm 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 learning to live with it. Mm-hmm. They're both uh, intense and committed people. Mm-hmm. So maybe they, you know, they enjoy kale salads together. Yeah, that's fine. I support that. The other couple you mentioned, there is a Zach two, and Flo. two decade plus gap. Yes, which seems the gap, the, the age gap in Zach Braff and Florence Pugh is old enough to buy alcohol. So that seems extreme. But you know, that's that. We, this isn't the podcast where we comment on that too much. So I was, I but I was, I thought that was wild. I love learning things, but you've you've known about this for a while now. This yeah. has been out there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because they were. I think they were in. They. I mean, I think they 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 got together a while ago. I've I've seen them in the mix for a while. My favorite low key cut, just broadcast wise, last night was Joaquin finishes the speech, finishes strong, finishes with a reference to River, and people are feeling it. And then it, it cut to Rooney Mara, and she did a kind of like a mini like nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> she. Yeah. That was wild. That was good. My favorite cutaways were definitely all the people nodding their head to lose yourself. Oh, just digging it. Uh, or just being like, I think I'm on camera, so I need to sort of present some sort of this, like familiarity yeah. with this. Some people were just rapping along, which sure. like, honestly, lose yourself. I still know all the words to that yeah, song. Mom's spaghetti. Come yeah. on. Uh, but it was really fun. Like Idina Menzel's, her head nod was the best. I do want to talk about that. Did you see... I also really respected, and obviously people don't need to respect Brad Pitt more, but when Janelle Monet was asking for audience participation. He got into it. He did the first one, and then she was so surprised he did one, she started to give him the mic again, and he just said, I'm good. He did the, like, first one's free. Yeah. Which I really yeah. respected. He, yeah, did it, yeah. he did it in a very casual way. Okay, side note for me. Uh-huh. Just my uh, um, uh, telegram from Daddington Island. Jesus. Are we going to talk about this? That was fantastic. Um, the Frozen 2, so, okay, here's the thing that you need to know, Chris. Uh-huh. All that time we weren't talking yesterday and you were, you know, you, you were sipping Arnold Palmer's dressed like Arnold Palmer, <laughs> waiting for the clouds to part. They never did. Um, you know, I spent my morning. Watching Frozen 2 again? No, no, no. It's not on demand yet. Or I would have been. We listened to the soundtrack or songs from the soundtrack in Spanish, Japanese, Mandarin, Thai. German, Italian, French, Malayalam, and more. Because? Because. You knew that that performance was no, coming? That was actually what we did yesterday. Wait, why then? So my younger daughter is obsessed with it and is particularly obsessed with it in Spanish. She loves it in Spanish. The Oscar-nominated song, Mucho Mas Allá, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. Big, big, gets a lot of burn in our household. Uh it's it's almost, I think, because she, you know, the Frozen soundtrack is one thing, Frozen 2 soundtrack is another thing, but if you listen to them in multiple languages, it's like whole new things. Right. So she loves is it Is she using it as like a doorway to being like, I think I might want to learn Spanish? Well, she's two and a half. Right. So that, you know, we're Again, not- started young. <laughs> we're not talking, you know, Waldorf method or not yet. Sure, okay. But it actually was kind of fun to realize that, I, I gotta say, like, if we could have- I know you'd love this. When you're out next time, the person whose job it is at Disney to get the songs in, the raw song data mm-hmm. from the Lopez Andersons, and it's just like, okay, we got to fan out across the globe now. Sure. We got to translate this shit because these songs are clever and they rhyme and we got to translate them into God knows how many languages and then find the singers. 
didn't love German Olaf, going to be honest with you, but we'll revisit. Um, <laughs> my point being, then they did this, and I thought that was actually a nice tribute to the fact that, okay, I'm going to bring, watch this, watch this landing. The point we were making about global cinema uh-huh. rings true even here yeah. on Daddy's Island. I thought that was a good performance. Great job. You love Adina Menzel because she was in that other movie I didn't see. Uncut Gems, baby. Didn't see it, but she's in that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I thought that that was really moving. Um, where are you? How's your Zellweger stock holding up? You check your portfolio recently? Um, I'm hedging a little bit. Are you? Shout out to her. I'm glad she. It's uh, amazing. She seemed like she, you know, I my my wife watched Judy yesterday before mm-hmm. the the Oscars. Uh, I did not. I uh, read Kem Nunn's Tapping the Source and took a nap, but must, it must be nice. <laughs> must be nice. Don't give me that. I'm just kidding. Come All on. Right. Uh, that was one the one award where I felt like, what planet are we on? You know, like where where yeah. is the world in which no one's seen Judy? Right. She just won everything. Tell that to the lady next to me on the plane the other day. Oh, really? Yeah. Was she watching it on the plane mm-hmm. or was she just like, you got to watch Judy? <laughs> She's like, I've seen Judy, the film <laughs> Judy. She was watching. Um, yeah, that was the one where I was just like, do better. I, I It was interesting. Sean and I, and I, and I, I will say this to his face. Sean was tweeting... Yesterday, what's, this, what's the deal? Which is how strange it is to him that that won. And I, from again, from my far outside perspective, mm-hmm. I wasn't surprised by that at all. Because if you that montage we were talking about that they did before each award, where they showed clips of the each nominated performance, if you had taken that that little uh, montage and shown it to Academy voters, it in five year increments going back into the '60s, mm-hmm. all of them could pick out the winner instantly. Which 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 movie? Which was the winning performance? It's just, it's pizzazz. It's I'm doing a thing. Yeah, but I don't know that Judy Garland really resonates with a lot. Like, I mean, I think 10, 20 years ago, maybe it's more the, like, oh, yeah, Judy Garland, man. Like, but now it's just like, okay. The, I mean, look, there, there's a couple things here. Like, if again, the roles that women get in Hollywood and the ways that they're promoted, no doubt, is majorly different. I mean, if you look yes. at the nominees for Best Actor and the things that they're doing. And then you look at something like, no one's going to believe what I'm saying because I haven't seen these movies. But I do think the point stands. Yes, I understand. That yeah. Other than Cynthia Erivo, whom you and I love, and I would love to see her in Harriet. I bet that was a great performance because she doesn't give bad performances. But something like, again, Unseen, Scarlett Johansson's performance, which seems, from the clips, amazing. Mm-hmm. Dialed in, emotionally More, true. In Marriage Story. In Marriage Story. Not Endgame. But she is not, she's pretty good in that. But that is not, the, she's not the Joker. You know what I mean? Sure. She's not um, an aging mob hitman. Mm-hmm. I mean, those parts are flashier than someone who's doing emotional, reactive, powerful work. Mm-hmm. So Judy Garland is the joker of that category, <laughs> essentially, that performance. I got to say, with no shares in that company, mm-hmm. Zellweger Inc., <laughs> one of the wildest Hollywood careers in our lifetime, because... Getting cast in Jerry Maguire was like a thing. Mm-hmm. For those of us who were didn't have podcasts yet, but like subscribed to Entertainment Weekly in the line. 90s, yeah. or Red Movie Line, that was like the most coveted part for a minute. And it was given to an unknown actress. She just, ba- I mean, yeah. I and think she, she'd basically been in, was she in Dazed back? Like, or was she, was she in, I guess. Like, I think she's in a couple of like smaller things. She was like in Empire Records. You that, know? I think that came later. And, and it doesn't matter. You're right. Like she had done very little and she got this huge part and huge lift that came along mm-hmm. with it. It doesn't fit any necessarily like stereotypical star trajectory with her, you know, whether the way she looked or whether her performances or her acting style. 
and has put together this not just successful 25-year career, but has won two Oscars yeah. and owned a franchise, too. Yeah. It's pr- and then disappeared for a while. And then just ghosted. Yeah. It's so unlikely and pretty awesome. Yeah. Respect uh, to Zellweg's. Uh, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about last night's Outsider. Yes. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Simply Safe. Your local police department probably receives 100 calls a night from burglar alarms and usually have no idea whether the alarm is real. All the alarm company can tell them is the motion sensor went off. Simply Safe Home Security is different. You get comprehensive protection for your home. Simply Safe uses real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of any break-ins. They can tell them where the intruder is in the home, whether they are armed, and what they are doing. Police will dispatch up to 350% faster than for a normal burglar alarm. Outdoor cameras and doorbells alert you to anyone approaching your home. Entry, motion, and glass break sensors guard inside. Plus, Simply Safe protects your home from fires, water damage, and carbon monoxide poisoning. And it's all monitored 24-7 by live security professionals. You can set it up yourself with no tools needed, or they can do it for you. And it's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. Visit simplysafe.com slash watch. You'll get free shipping and a 60 day risk-free trial go now and be sure you go to simplysafe.com slash watch so they know we sent you that's simplysafe.com slash watch all right greenwald we're back let's talk a little bit about outsider before we get out of here um i think that was the best episode since the first two mm-hmm. last night uh last night's directed by Karim kusama and it was essentially the merge point where Holly, played by Cynthia Revo, who we obviously saw last night on the Oscars, Holly brings all of this hard reporting on essentially myth and legend. Mm-hmm. She's like, this is, by all accounts, by everything I can kind of discern, real shit. And she brings it back to Ralph and the people... What's the name of the town? Is it Peachtree? Cherokee City. Cherokee City. That's right. Oh, it's Peachtree is the name of the strip bar. Mm-hmm. Cherokee City. And um, people were forced to confront like what they are willing to believe in the world. And I thought the mixture of the, you know, the conversations between people like Ralph and Holly and Glory and and everybody combined with just like a little bit of a turning the dial on tempo and pacing and tension, especially culminating with the last scene, which I thought was just phenomenally shot and staged and just like the little things like you know why like the stuff that happens on the bus winds up mattering when she gets in the car Mm because she's just like i don't you know i her nerves are there Mm -hmm. and i just thought it was a a fantastic episode of a fantastic show the only criticism i really have is i thought that she was going to unload all the truths and observations that would have been uncomfortable for people to hear up to and including why does no one in georgia have a southern accent except this (laughs) motherfucker over here you know what i mean (laughs) Like, that is the yeah. enduring mystery of the show yeah. that I respect. Sure. At this point. Sure. Because I, want to, I cannot say this cleanly enough. Only Jack <laughs> has a Southern accent. The guy who on, was on Ozark, yeah. On, on the show The Outsider set in Georgia. No one else. Yeah. None of the other police. None of the longtime <laughs> residents. No one. Yeah. So, again, respect that. But joking aside, I love this show. I just fully unadulterated love the show. I love watching it. I'm excited for new episodes. I do not feel even the slightest yearning to be doing something else during it, which, you know, in our scattershot society happens even things that I nominally adore. Yeah. I'm so drawn in and captivated and just it's it's pleasurable. 
you know, and and it and it strikes such a fascinating balance because it's unlike a lot of things that I've enjoyed in the past few years because its tension can be intense. Mm-hmm. You know, its its severity can be intense. Some of the emotional stuff that it was playing with last night is stuff that I generally don't like watching. It's hard to watch, um, particularly about putting children in peril or talking about children being in emotional distress. That's just that's just a tough tough beat. Yeah, right. Um, I love it, but, but yeah, I, yeah, I know. I <laughs> but this is this is why people tune into this podcast for you know the the yin and yang of of uh, of discourse. That's right. So, but I but because I trust the whole enterprise, I'm able to compartmentalize it and enjoy it for the entertainment that it is. The further I get from last night's episode, which was masterfully directed by Corinne Kusama, director of The Invitation, and if you haven't seen that mm-hmm. or Destroyer, you should definitely check either of those movies out because they're both phenomenal acts in both different ways yeah i think that it's actually even more impressive than i thought when i was just watching it because now that i've had a few hours to unpack it last night's episode may have been the most challenging to pull off because yeah it 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 did bring all the characters together and did build to you know some pretty exquisite tension Mm -hmm. um that, that was i mean it was there through the whole episode but really really started to feel like it was about to pay off in potentially terrible ways this, the thing you're mentioning, bringing all the characters together, is busy work. You know what I mean? It, this was a connect-the-dots episode if you actually see past a lot of the style. Yeah. Not just because it had to bring people together who hadn't been on the screen together, but because it required the um, – this was the, it was the McDLT of episodes. You, it required the cool procedural part to be combined with the hot, hot meat yeah. of the supernatural, which is, not, which is the show's you know, the tension point. And in order to pull that off successfully, since we've kind of for the last few episodes, or at least I was going to say we've been from, we've been in Holly's POV, but really I think since the audience knows we're going more in that direction, we've started to be more on her team at least. We think that she's right. We don't doubt her. Right. Um, Because of that, it required the other characters whom we like, like Ralph, to really um, reset in a way Mm -hmm. as hardline skeptics. To the point where there were moments early on where there are two identical drawings and the sort of, yeah, a Richard Price character or a cop character is always going to be skeptical. That's the nature of that job. But he was like, he was, he would, he refused to admit that these were even the same idea. But you idea. have to think about like the acknowledgement of that, of that being the case means he got an innocent guy killed, yeah. you know, and that's, and, and you could make the argument that the power of this boogeyman, Coco, mm-hmm. Coco character would, uh, would eventually overtake everybody anyway. Mm-hmm. But Ralph's sort of strident, like cuff him in front of everybody. Yeah. All like that setting that that domino, uh, that the, the those dominoes to fall. Like he's confronting that. He he doesn't want this to be the case because he wants probably somewhere in the back of his mind mm-hmm. to think my detective work did not get well, an innocent man killed and destroy a family. I agree with you. And I think Ben Mendelssohn's performance is getting better and better because he is carrying the weight of all that. And yeah. I appreciated um I appreciated that the show didn't um, think it was too good to remind us of a couple things, particularly in the therapy scene when they just spell out that he shot a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, he's carrying that weight. The character, the actor has never let that leave his performance. And But it's important to be reminded of that sometimes when we're chasing um, boogeymen literally through the Midwest that, that the kid he shot, Oliver, had a name, was essentially a teenager and was the same age as his son. So the resetting of all that helps, I think, in terms of the, the point you're making. Yeah. But I did think just as collectively one episode to the next, 
it did sometimes feel like a hard reset of skepticism because they were very supportive of what she was doing. Uh, and as you, as we both just agreed, like the show has kind of veered more towards, well, she's not making it up. Right. So to suddenly present the characters that we've come to be fans of as antag- not antagonists, but obstacles. Yeah, I know. But it, it relaxed that knot awfully well over the course of the episode and bring it all the way back, the style with which it was directed and the confidence um, and just our understanding of physical space between characters, not just the framing, but building up to that last shot in the car. Yeah. You know, the proximity between Jack and Holly. And, and also her dropping the wet wipes and him leaning over. And knowing that Holly feels about physical intimacy and presence. And then that using that, I think it was a drone shot overhead of the car turning. I mean, it, it was so effective. Um, let's just briefly hear let me see if we're on the same page about what the hell is happening. Okay. So to me, there are, you can read, there's a lot of really, you, there's Reddit threads and everything. You can read recaps, like you can figure this out. I, I'm just trying, I'm trying actually to just be like what mm-hmm. I'm seeing on screen more than anything. I haven't done a ton of reading about this, uh, but there are basically like necks and doubles in this, right? There are the people who get the neck wound and they seem to be the ones who almost like facilitate. They're the physical slaves of the evil spirit. Right. And then the evil spirit essentially inhabits. Doesn't inhabit. Or the evil mur- spirit like, basically clones a person. The evil spirit be- puts on the skin of the person when the person who they've doubled is absent. Or scratched, right? So that's. There's that... scratches and there's necks, essentially. The, so the moment the scratch happens is marking his next double. He right. takes the... Terry Maitland, the evil spirit, Hofstetter, and now probably some Claude. DNA or yeah. whatever, right. if we're not really in the realm of science, from the next person that he's going to double to prepare. Mm-hmm. And then there's this gestation period they talked about where it literally molts the previous skin and is in a weakened state. And because it's in a weakened physical state, it can't cause havoc or set right. up the next kill. So it needs people like Jack. So it, ha- it, it takes a... Yeah, like a like a slave, I think is the word they used last night, like yeah. a tool, a blunt instrument. Okay, we're on the same page. To do whatever. And then and then sometimes to get that blunt instrument in line, it brings back its mother, played by Denny Dillon. Shout out Dream On Hive. <laughs> I mean, that was a That was scary. That was really scary. Yeah. That was good job by you, outsider. Like yeah. that was that was a jump scare. And it was disturbing. You know, it was it was good. Um, all right, so we'll keep talking about Outsider, obviously. Uh, I expect it to just get more and more tense and nuts. Uh, Do you, I mean, it's pretty interesting that we are headed towards like an endgame of the show where a small town police department essentially is going to try to kill an ancient evil spirit. I mean, that is literally every Stephen King book. I yeah. know, but the the slow walk to get there. Yeah. Just one more shout out to everyone involved in making the show because... If this was a two-hour movie, the credulity required oh, for a small-town police department to be like, I guess, Mission Boogeyman. I think it could have been a six- or eight-episode show, but I'm actually, after six, I'm like, I'm really glad there's four more of these. Yeah, I was still on the fence up until last night because I didn't understand exactly how it was being parceled out to us. So Thursday's Watch Pod will be a combo of talking about episode two of Briar Patch, yeah. which you can watch now. You can. And you should. You should do it. You can watch it on demand. You can watch it on usanetwork.com. You can watch it on YouTube for free. Even if you don't have USA, you can watch the first two episodes. I love YouTube. 
I uh, hope you do. We can talk. So we're going to talk with a special guest who's coming yep. in on Thursday. And then also on Thursday's show, we'll have my interview with the showrunners of Hulu's High Fidelity, Veronica nice. West and Sarah Kasurka. And that is a dynamite show. There are two shows coming out this coming weekend mm-hmm. that, for me, the action is the juice. <laughs> and always it always has been. It's always about High Fidelity, and it's about Narcos Mexico Season 2. Starring Scoot McNary and Diego Luna. How many of each of those shows have you watched? I have finished Narcos Mexico season two. I was Did lucky you enough it? to watch screeners of that and talk to Diego Luna, Scoot McNary, and Eric Newman. And that wow. podcast will be up the Monday after Narcos comes out. So, so a week from today. Yeah. I'm a Narcos Megapod. Did you watch that season before it was filmed? Like in a way? Like, in some ways. In some ways, do you feel like you have already? In some ways. Uh, I, I haven't decided when I'm going to bring out screaming Narco's voice, but I can't do it now. Did, I've been talking for two hours. But you Did know. you do it for them? Like, did you? I did not. You didn't? I did not. Did you say, like, No, Diego! I did not say, nice to meet you, Diego Luno. Welcome to Narco's! He did it. Yeah. He was, he's a beautiful man. Can I tell I, you that? I, I have, I once sat in a restaurant near him uh-huh. and couldn't take my eyes off. And him. also like, you know, sometimes when you meet somebody and you wonder if you have a soul because mm-hmm. you meet somebody and you're like, is that how human beings are supposed to be? Are you the outsider? No, but like I, I was him? talking to him and yeah. I, I, here's a spoiler. I was like, you know, how do you basically like take the Felix kind of suit off and like get normal at the end of the night? Yeah. He just looked at me. And he has like permanent, like beautiful wet eyes. It's just like I have beautiful children, you know. And I, it's about them, and it's about. I was just like, oh my god, dude, will you be my father? Yeah, he's younger than us, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, thanks for listening to the watch. We love culture on this podcast. We cannot, cannot get enough of it. We will be with you on Thursday. Take care. Good job, Branskis. 